Hello, it is 5 a.m. in New York, 11 a.m. in Johannesburg, and 4 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to a special edition of Expat Happy Hour coming to you from Bern, Switzerland. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com, and I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations. And I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. When I'm talking about any life transition, I cannot think of a better time than this global transition that we're all going through right now. At the time of this recording, everybody is asking themselves, what are we going to do in this time of the coronavirus? For me, on Thursday, I woke up in South Africa and I was having a normal day until after work, I locked eyes with my husband and he had that thing. You know, that thing in the eyes when you know the next question that's going to come, it's going to be something big. Well, that happened. And we had this discussion of where do you want to hunker down during the bumpiest peak of the coronavirus? This was Thursday. It is now Monday. Now keep in mind on Thursday, I was just, you know, self-isolating at home. Everything was fine. We were getting the homeschool routine done. And I wasn't even letting myself ask that question until we started hearing about I, you know, projections of flights being canceled for a week ahead. Well, my husband, knowing me, how he does, he gave me some time to think about it. And on Friday, I woke up and I thought about, you know, any respiratory cases um, in our family, any vulnerabilities that were relevant. And I thought, well, I guess where I would like to ride out the bumpy part, if I'm working location independent and my kids are, you know, doing uh, school from home, in the place that's best in terms of healthcare and stability. So we looked at each other again and we said, okay, I guess that's what we'll do. And Friday we booked our tickets. Saturday I woke up, packed. We were on an airplane that night. Came here Sunday evening and now it's Monday morning and homeschool is happening, work is happening and normal, and I'm doing air quotes with my fingers here, is life is going to be happening here until things calm down, whatever that looks like. So if you're listening to this, I want you to tell me what's your story. What has the last 72 hours of your life been like? Hop on um, my Facebook page at sundaybean.com or, you know, connect with me over social media, Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, wherever you're at and tell me your story. I want to hear from you. Email me. I want to hear where you're at and what's going on in your life. But listen, that's not what this episode is about. Before all this went crazy, I promised to debunk four excuses, four excuses that I hear all the time that stop you from making money in your business, especially location independent businesses, ways that people are holding themselves back. And I did debate whether I would go forward with this, but to be honest, I can't think of a better time than now to let's get through those mental blocks that are holding us back from doing what we do best and making money doing it. Because right now with all the uncertainty, what we don't need are excuses in our head from stopping us. We have enough logistical things that are stopping us, borders closing, flights being canceled. Let's not then add 
the um, mental blocks that are going on. So I am going to um, go further with these four excuses because this is the time to get really clear on how you're showing up in your life, in your business, financially, how you can create security for you and smash through the things that are blocking you that aren't real, right? That's what we need to do in uncertain times. Face the real stuff and block through the stuff that is is just in our heads, right? So who knows how long this will be going, but um, I want you to be prepared. Just as a side note, before we dive into the four excuses, if you are not already part of my Facebook group, Expats on Purpose, please join me. This is a cozy community where you can ask questions and get support and have resources from people who get it. There's a number of experts in that group too that have a wide variety of skill sets that are explicitly supportive of expat life. And in that group, you'll be meeting um, the recent graduates of Expat Coach Coalition, a wonderful troop of individuals who serve the global mobility community in ways that are super powerful. And you'll be getting some more support from them in the coming weeks in the group as our gesture of serving our community in these challenging times. All right. So last week, um, I went around and talked to all my clients and I asked everyone the same question. And I want you to ask yourself this question. The question is, what do you want to say that you did in the next, I don't know, six months? What do you want to say you did in the next six months? By far, my favorite answer from one of my clients was, well, what I don't want to say is I don't fit into my jeans anymore. And all I did was binge on Netflix. (laughs) What she was essentially saying is she doesn't want to let the months go by at home and then ask herself why she didn't do more why she didn't get more clarity, why she didn't use that time of limbo to start something important, right? Now is more important than ever to appreciate this chance to work a location independent life. And that could mean working from anywhere, including your home, right? And if you're like most people, then you've got one of these four excuses that I've seen over and over in my work with people. And I'm addressing these specifically for those who live in a globally mobile context because that adds another layer of complexity, doesn't it? So in last week's episode, we we kicked off these four excuses. You might remember in episode 168, Trial by Fire, we talked about the first excuse, I'm not ready. Excuse number one, I'm not ready. You'll recall that we talked about how I'm not ready is actually a disguise for self-doubt. Excuse number two is no one will buy it. Number three is I don't have time. And number four will surprise you. It's we don't need the money. These days you might be thinking the opposite. We need the money. And I'll address that in that episode. So we're heading in to excuse number two this week. No one will buy it. Okay. But before we do that, I want to have a little quiz. Tell me real or fake real or fake, which one of these products is real or fake? So number one, you can buy something called the exploding kitten card game. Is that real or fake? Okay. Card game for people who are into kittens and explosion. Number two, a multicolor toilet bowl light. Number two, real or fake, a multicolor toilet bowl light. 
Number three, a USB flash memory stick in the shape of a cheeseburger. It's so hard for me to say that without cracking up. A USB flash memory stick in the shape of a cheeseburger. All right, real or fake? I'm so sorry to tell you the news, but they're all real. They are all real. In fact, the Exploding Kitten was number three in 2017 on Amazon and Games. And a to-be-unnamed person in my family actually sent me a video of the multicolored toilet bowl light in all of its glory. Yes, people. People pay money for this. And apparently, it brings them great joy. So I offer these examples. One, <laughs> first of all, they're amazing. I just can't believe it. But this idea of no one will buy it for real, who would have thought an exploding kitten card game, multicolored toilet bowl light, apparently people do buy it. In fact, they're really hot sellers on Amazon. So this idea of no one will buy it, is that true? Is that true? No one will buy it. In fact, the only way you can find out is to do really high quality market research and test if it's viable, right? And when you don't do that, when you don't let yourself go through that process, when you stop yourself before you even start, you're missing out. I mean, imagine if Garrett Camp and Travis Kalanick were like, oh, you know what? No one will pay money to have strangers drive them in places. Right? If they didn't, if they thought that no one would buy it, Uber would have never been sold for $19 million. What if Garrett Camp asked his neighbor, you know, about the idea of Uber and his neighbor's like, no, no one will buy it. And he overrode his instinct that was a brilliant idea. He would have missed out on a $3.7 billion career. He's a Canadian billionaire, entrepreneur, product designer, investor. What if he didn't believe in the value of his idea? He would be missing out. The thing is, the idea no one will buy it is only the answer after you've done the work, right? You can only say no one will buy it after you've done the work. And the work, one, is you need to have a product or service, a prototype that is high, you know, quality. You need to understand who your ideal market is test out the idea, get feedback, right? Do market research. And only then can you say no one will buy it. And for those of you in marketing and sales, it's like, duh, of course. But here's the thing. I work with people all the time who, before they even give themselves a chance, before they do the market research, before they do the testing, before a prototype, before any of that, they've already convinced themselves that no one will buy it. Imagine the guy who made all that money from toilet bowl lights, <laughs> he's putting his kids through college now because he did his work. He did the research and he found out there was a market. And I'm guessing I don't even want to know who this market is, right? I don't even want to guess. But what I want you to do right now is if you're thinking about starting your own business or you have a service that you want to offer people, even if it's like 
massage or coaching, or let's say you want to have a copywriting service or anything, anything that you think you'd love doing, maybe something artistic, maybe you create stuff and you want to sell it on Etsy and you're telling yourself, no one will buy it. My hunch is it's way too soon to even make that statement. You haven't done the work to get there. All right. No one will buy it is so dangerous because it stops you one from learning and it stops you from, from making money and it stops you from building confidence. Right. And I just want to help you stop that because now is the time to get rid of the mental blocks because we have enough blocks in our own reality, uh, to navigate. We don't need extra ones that we create for ourselves. Okay. So what I'm going to do now is we're going to look in to no one will buy it a little bit more closely because it wears a disguise, it carries a shield, and there's also something that it's blocking that you need to know about. All right, so for us to go a little bit deeper with this idea of no one will buy it, I wanted to do something different today. Instead of you just listening to me go on and on and on about how passionate I believe in this idea that no one will buy it isn't true, um, I mentioned to you, I don't believe it because I hear this from my clients all the time and in our work together, we constantly disprove that. So what a better way than to bring in a dear friend of mine who is actually a client who hired me to fast track her business. Uh, and she and I are going to talk about no one will buy it and how that's shown up in her own life and how it lives disguised um, by other things. You might know Kath Rue from the book Living Elsewhere. She's an amazing artist and illustrator. If you don't have this book, you need to have this on your coffee table and it's got to be your leaving present for anybody you care about. She's been in episode 68 of Expat Happy Hour as well as episode 144, Unlikely Connections with her and Jerry Jones. Kath is an amazing professional. She is a confident um, person in public. I've seen her bring an entire room of people around the world to their feet. Uh, Kath can do drawings live and the product is outstanding. And she's a wonderful, wonderful writer and storyteller. It might be surprising for you to learn that she's even had the thought that no one will buy it right? So Kath is so awesome to agree and share sort of behind the scenes of what goes on. I get this because I'm an entrepreneur. And although I am confident in what I'm doing, I also have moments of doubt. So Kath, thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure. <laughs> okay. So Kath and I were working on something together and I was, um, I was doing some brainstorming about this episode a few weeks ago. And I said, Hey, Kath, here are the top four excuses I'm seeing um, with my clients, which ones do you think would resonate? And, and what was interesting is our conversation started then that actually, in some form, all of them resonated. Absolutely. <laughs> I was a bit like, which one didn't resonate really? <laughs> <laughs> right. So Kath has approved these four excuses on the series. <laughs> Kath approved. Um, so Kath, today we're going to talk about no one will buy it. And as you know, um, I think from my work, no one will buy it as a disguise for, I don't see the value in what I have to offer. Yeah, very much so. I, um, even now I still think that and I'm considered successful supposedly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, 
it's a really hard thing and it's I think for me the the main reason is that I put my heart and soul into it and it's like if I put it out there and I people don't buy it then it's like it feels like it's a a representation of me and and who I am that they're rejecting that but actually it's not that at all and by me saying because I put my heart and soul into it I want people to like it um Mm -hmm. and and it's really scary it's a it's a huge risk but but if you do and then they do like it, it it's also wonderful feels amazing and but that's dangerous too because then yeah. it's like your self-worth is contingent on outside yeah um, value yeah so you talk about the heart and soul I remember it makes me think about when I was in university how I would work really hard on a paper um because it felt like it was an extension of who I was mm-hmm. yeah right so yeah. I wanted to get you know I wanted to get the a because mm-hmm. then it it's now, you know, years later with hindsight, I see how dangerous that can be, but it felt like, yeah, this isn't, my work is an extension of who I am. And that means I'm, I am giving my value up to yeah. these predefined criteria. Yeah, yeah right? absolutely. And, and that's one of the things I find the hardest is that, that because I'm a hundred percent committed to what I do and I really try to do the best thing you do put 100% of yourself into what you're doing and it's very hard to separate it from yourself and Mm -hmm. I was that student as well I always strived for A's and trying to do really well and I remember once when I got I think I got 30% in a maths test and I was absolutely devastated (laughs) it was just awful and I I (laughs) really Was, How does that happen? How does uh, someone like you get 30% on a math test? Oh, I don't know. I just, I don't, I think I probably got a bit cocky and I decided I didn't need to study or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, I still remember the wound now. It's just vile. I can feel it. Um, oh my God. And, and, that's so funny. and that's just schoolwork. Like, so when I'm doing business work, which I absolutely love, and for me, particularly with drawing, it's, it's so the core of who you are as a creative mm-hmm. pursuit that, and I've always just drawn for myself. So it's like, it, it's lovely that people want to, that people value it and want to buy it. But it took me a long, long time to think that it was worth that. And as you know, it took me till I was 42 to call myself an artist. Wait, um, it's, I mean, I think you already had a published book at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. Here's another thing I think is hidden in that. Um, with its disguise, I don't see the value in what I have to offer. It's because this is the craziest thing about it. You enjoy it. Yeah. Very much. And it comes naturally to you. Yeah. Not that you don't work at it, but when you enjoy something and it feels like it's coming natural, then you automatically think it doesn't have value. Yeah, it is. It's, it's that kind of God given thing that, um, it's why I don't have a right to charge for this because I haven't mm-hmm. worked hard to, to make it happen. And then actually if I think about it all and I think about the stuff that, that we've explored in coaching, that how much I have put into it in that mm-hmm. my university degree was a degree in landscape architecture. And we had whole subjects that were about how to actually write on a page and how to lay out things. I I mean, I did art at school. Um, I've since taken myself off on training courses to learn graphic design and to learn various softwares. Um, and it's about reminding yourself of those moments. I remember sitting in a, it was a six-week course at my local university um, about graphic design. And I remember sitting there saying to the guy, but this is all very well sitting here doing a class like this, but how do I actually get work? And he said, just do it. Just get mm-hmm. out there. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, right. And 
And then about a year later, when I'm employed and I'm getting repeat customers, I'm like, yeah, I'm actually doing this. This is cool. But it's it's really scary putting yourself out there. I think that's a really good tip for those who are listening. When you are saying to yourself, I don't see the value in what I have to offer. And this happens to so many of my clients. I make them actually write down Mm. How, you know, when did, when did you do your first course? How many hours did you practice it on your own? Did you go to school to finish it? What sort of life experience led you to know that? And mm. once you start writing it down, yeah, you realize, you, you, you're yeah. like, Oh yeah, yeah. I, I had to do this. This is something I've never shared with anybody before, before I started expat coach coalition, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's le- leads to one of the other, um, disguises that comes up. But I was looking at myself going, is it the right time for me to do this? And I did the exercise for myself. And I realized I probably invested over a hundred thousand dollars in my yeah. education Just fear. and, yeah. and over a decade. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So a decade of experience, a hundred thousand dollars. And if I sell a program that's, you know, under $5,000, it sounds yeah. like, I mean, I basically, yeah. I did all the work, you know, I invested the yeah. decade, I invested the hundred grand, you guys get to get that filtered over time, yeah, right? Yeah. Over time, yeah. the and, best of what I know. But also it's all the years of practice as well. So that, that I've, I mean, everywhere I go, coffee shop, whatever, I've always got a pen and paper and I'm always constantly sketching. Um, and I used to do cartoons for friends, like um, wedding cards and birthday cards. And, and although I'm doing it because I enjoy it, if I look at that with a professional eye, that's a constant honing of that skill. Yeah, um, totally. And, and I, that has to have value because it's it's no different to me if I'm learning to be a masseuse or something, going and giving friends massages. It's it's all part of that same um, thing of, of, of practicing and, and developing your craft, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And what's so ironic too, because this is, I mean, all of us, anybody who's listening, if you are believing the thought, I don't see the value when I have to offer, be honest if one of your closest friends did that thing. Hmm. would you tell him or her to give it away for free or would you insist hmm. that they charge for it? Hmm. Yeah. Right. If your friend, like you were saying, a masseuse or a, yeah. a hair salon, whatever, if, if they were amazing at it, you would be like, what are you crazy? Go ch- charge for that. It has value, yeah. but yeah. We, it's hard to see it in yourself. Yeah, it is. And I've realized that by, I mean, I absolutely used to think who, who on earth am I to think that I can charge for something that's just uh, this kind of God given thing. But, and I realized that an awful lot of that was actually, when I broke it down, I desperately wanted to have success and I knew I could do it, but it was a complete protection mechanism of if I don't go out and I don't do these things, then I play it safe and I won't get hurt. But actually mm-hmm. all I'm doing is confirming that I will never get there. And, right. and it's, it's, it's counterproductive. It feels safe, but it's actually counterproductive. Right. Right. It feels safer. You're protecting yourself. I think Brene Brown calls it foreboding joy. Mm, mm. Like you pr- protect yourself from the disappointment when you really yeah. want something. But actually so you, all you're doing is confirming the disappointment because you're never allowing yourself to get out of it. Yeah. You're so, basically creating the yeah, thing you're afraid so, of. So what my kind of, I guess it's probably a tip to other people, but my thing always was, I just had that moment where I just thought, but, but what if, just what if I could actually make this happen? how exciting and how incredible that could be and I just think um probably use a swear word but I'd probably just think like stuff this and just get on with it um (laughs) 
So you talked about, um, you said, who do I think I am? And this is the second part of no one will buy it. it. I think it's a shield from who do you think you are? So the first one is when we say, I don't see the value, it's actually protecting. It's a shield for our self-worth. We yeah. don't have self-worth and we're protecting ourselves yeah. from more disappointment. And the second sort of variation of it is a shield. Um, who do you think you are? We're protecting ourselves from people thinking we're hotsy totsy or bigger, you know, yeah. we're too big riches. And what, yeah. I mean, well, hello, gender socialization, yeah, right? Absolutely. Like there is, as a woman, it's hard for me not to hear that from a gendered context. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Where, yeah. I, yeah. I was just going to say that's the same. It's like, it, it, if I put myself out there, that then in my head used to translate that I must think I'm fairly good. And therefore, does that make me kind of a bit cocky? And who am I to put my head above the parapet when, when others aren't. And then I think, well, actually, they all are. All the successful people out there had that moment where they thought, right, I do I do this or do I don't? And right. we don't see that. It's like the iceberg. We don't see all the stuff underneath. Um, no. And have you read the book uh, Trainwreck? We'll have to put the, the reference no, in the show notes. But Trainwreck is a book about what happens with women who are successful in the public eye mm-hmm. and how they are systematically taken down, um, on their rise up. So when we look at the media and we look at, um, public figures that there's, you know, what you see from the research is that women are held to a different standard than men are. And what is considered confident in a man would be, you know, arrogant in a woman or whatever. So I think we're protecting ourselves from something societal. We're trying not to get hit down from society, but I think the other flip side is the imposter syndrome. You know, who am I? I'm very familiar with imposter syndrome. <laughs> you guys are good friends. Yeah, we're very, very good friends. <laughs> I'd say we're twins even. It's like, yeah. I mean, it, it's weird actually because it's things that I'm trained in and I think I can, I've got the bit of paper. I can stand up absolutely and be confident and say, yes, I can do this because I've got this qualification. But drawing is like another whole thing altogether. And and I keep waiting to feel like I'm going to be discovered that I can't actually draw. And then I look at what I've done and think, oh, geez, don't be stupid. Like it's this <laughs> constant good and evil com- little people on my shoulders trying to have this conversation. So if, if you don't, if you're listening, you don't know the imposter syndrome, like pause now and go Google it. Because I've had conversations with my clients where they didn't know about the imposter syndrome and as soon as they had a name for it, mm. it, it was transformational for them. So imposter syndrome is constantly feeling like you're going to be a fraud mm. um, and you're going to be found out. One of my clients, she is amazing. She, she, when she discovered imposter syndrome, we had a good giggle about it because <laughs> that morning she had just received like top salesperson <laughs> in the entire continent, basically. Um, and we were giggling because literally moments before she discovered that the name, she was asking herself if she was good enough to take on this position. (laughs) And then she was like, Oh yeah. Oh, I hate that it happens. Right. So you're not alone if you've asked yourself. And so what's against it? Like, what are the tips against it? How do you fight imposter syndrome? Well, uh, one thing is, it's that five second rule, isn't it? It's like, I have an idea and it takes me five seconds to actually destroy it by saying um, that, that I can't, I'm not capable. But actually, so when I have the idea, I think, right, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I don't allow that, that, that thought of telling myself I can't do it. I don't allow that the space to even exist now. Um, and so I just start doing it and I start making 
um, commitments to it and, and really active things. So be, <laughs> I'm someone that doesn't like to not deliver something. So if, if I've decided that I want to do something before that brain kicks in, I will send an email to someone saying, yes, I can do this or I can do that. Because then it's like, oh, geez, I've actually got to deliver on this now. And it forces me, it pushes me out of my comfort zone in a way that, because um, I know myself well enough to know that that I'm not going to let someone down. And if I can't do it, then I'll find someone else who can do it and I'll make it happen. But it's about constantly pushing my Well, I, th- I think I've done that too before I even knew it was a strategy. Um, when mm. I started coaching over a decade ago, I had I had done a lot of work like qualitative communication, you know, training through my master's degree and I I did some training, but I was tapped on the shoulder to um, coach on a corporate level with like managing directors. Mm. And this was before I felt ready. And um, Mm. I had a conversation with my mentor, my mentor coach, and she's like, just do it. I'm here by your side. I'll mentor you every step of the way. And Mm. I was shocked at how actually how easy it was and how quickly I got results from my clients Mm. um, because Honestly, if I had waited until I was ready, um, I would have probably waited years to do it. And then I, yeah, then I missed out. It's likely I, to never, ha- never happen almost. Right, and I, yeah. I would miss out on all those years of experience building. So someone who would say yes and, and do the five, four, three, two, one would then have five more years mm. of experience than me. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. But also I, I used to go to um, art exhibitions locally and cafes and things, and I'd look at the walls and just think, why are they doing this? They're like, they've got 300 pounds on a, on a picture or they've got this price and there's sales. And it's like, and I got so annoyed with myself that I wasn't doing it, that it's like, geez, if they can, why can't I? And, and it's only, I realized it's only me that's stopping myself. So it kind of, I got desperate enough where I had to so I think something. I think envy is a really great tip. Actually, if you notice that you're getting mm. jealous or frustrated by people who are out there mm. doing it and you're even this sounds really bad but if you're even kind of judgy about the quality of their work where you're like Ooh, yeah. i could do no i don't judge at all <laughs> don't we don't have amygdalas we don't have human brains um but then if you if you notice yourself getting judgy if you notice yourself getting jealous it's actually a great sign like your body is saying yeah. you are ready you someone will buy it yeah it's triggering yeah, something totally. yeah so the last exactly. one um yeah. is no one will buy it and I think it's really just fear of selling. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, society, I guess it depends on where you live and cultural things, but generally people don't, where I've lived, don't like to talk about money much. And, um, but to some degree, being an Australian in the UK, I'm better at talking about money than I would be elsewhere. There's something, I don't know, we, we're a bit more bolder with, with having those conversations. So I've just learned to do it because I've, had moments where I've been brave enough and I've just said someone's asked me a price and I've just said it and they haven't even blinked and I thought oh that was easy like <laughs> right we'll do that again next time or we'll go up a bit more or um but also part of the complication for me has always been it's about value and if I'm looking to to sell something I I judge it on what I think I would spend on it which is very different to someone who has a lot more money or they can't draw so they they only buy art and therefore it has a, a greater value to them or it 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 like with my book with the living elsewhere it speaks to them in a way that they can't express otherwise and it has a much greater meaning so I can't 
I've learned not to value my stuff on my own standards. It's like I have to just do what feels right. If people want to buy it, then they buy it. If they don't, they don't. Um, but, I mean, that sounds easy, but I've, it's taken me a long time to right. get to that and point. And there's part of it is actually kind of a science behind it with market research and understanding, you know, your mm. ideal client. That's just market research, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and for yeah. me, what's done, I mean, I had, um, I did the work on how to sell because I knew if I didn't, I would have a hobby, not a business. So I, yeah. I did some intensive investing in myself and learning about how do you sell, sell in a way that's authentic and not slimy and not bothering people and all that. And for me, when I get in that place where I don't feel like selling a product or a program, I, I actually just go back to my clients and go, well, if I hadn't done that, their life wouldn't have changed in the way it did. You know, it's mm. again, like I'm robbing them of their joy yeah. of their transformation or whatever it might be. And it's really not about me. It's about them. Mm. So just get over yourself Sunday. That's kind of, that's kind of how yeah. I, yeah, I, I, well, and absolutely. And I, as much as I love to do drawings and I'll give them away, it doesn't make me, it doesn't give me food to buy cereal for breakfast in yeah. the morning. Like it, there, there's very, very fundamental needs. And why should, why should me doing something that I love be any different to going out and being employed and doing something I love? It's like, it just, it, it's the, the two don't, it's like comparing apples and pears. They don't, it just doesn't compute in my head now. But it used to, and I used to, I way, way undercharge what, what I do. But I've learned that uh, where I thought if I charged more people, um, it would think it was too expensive. But actually, if you charge what you're meant to charge, people really value it for what it is. It has a, money has a value, whether we like it or not. It's it's how people often measure things. Um, and therefore, it, 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 it works. It's a, it's a known transaction and known conversation between two people what regardless it's just an of exchange culture, of value yeah. that's it like i got value from the service yeah. here's the value back and however you exchange that value yeah. and one of the things i think is interesting is this conversation around around sales i always ask my clients you know would you ever expect the dentist to give you a root canal for free <laughs> and they're like uh yeah, no exactly. you know of course you're going to pay for it and um so i think that's really important that for other service providers we don't even think about it. Why would it be for your thing any different? The other thing, which I just heard um, Susan Hyatt put out a post about sort of pushback that people are getting who are selling now in this, you know, in the coronavirus crisis or whatever. Um, she's like, well, if I don't pay, if I don't pay my team of 10, now we've got an mm. assistant out of work and she's not going to pay for her yeah. daughter's food. Like, we need to yeah, keep exactly. showing up for people. Yeah. We need to keep serving people yeah. um, in ways that are authentic, yeah. but not like suddenly, you know, how can you do that? You have a team, you have responsibilities. Yeah, um, yeah. very much yeah. so. Uh, and also on on the, the subject of authenticity, what I've realized that I'm doing is that I will charge um, the kind of my set fees, but then I when there are cases and there are people that I can make adjustments for, um, or I might do a, a, a staged payment or um, I might actually, what I do do with my uh, business is that I actually take on two cases every year of someone who's really just trying to start out and trying to get a product out there who has, um, generally they're people that have got an awful lot of talent and kind of nous, but just haven't quite got the skills yet to get going. And I tend to work with them rather than uh, me working for them 
and we and therefore I share a bit of the risk with some of the projects and we we then launch things together and I tend to pick one or two cases a year that I focus that on and that's my way of then giving back that then feels like it balances out the kind of more professional fees mm-hmm. that I, I, do, I do the same thing when it comes to how do I serve for free in a way that's in alignment mm. with what my values are so that I can yeah. keep my business running and keep my team paid and that sort of yeah. thing. Uh, you can be creative. You, I mean, yeah. you can take exactly. a pro bono clients, you can volunteer services for yeah. an organization you believe in um, so that everybody's yeah. needs can get met. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. So Kathy, you came on here willing to talk about, you know, this is just one of the four excuses. Um, <laughs> and we, we talked about yeah. the three ways that it morphs. Um, you're really self-aware of this. You've done the work. You're working to blast through mm-hmm. these. And when you notice them coming back, you keep pushing them down and keep moving forward. Um, what, yeah. what advice do you yeah. have for people who are just at the beginning of this process? Oh, um, I guess one thing I would, I think, that, I guess the main thing really is just to keep tapping into your dream the what if, like what if this really was successful? All those things that you feel like you're not able to do at the moment. What is, what what if you really could do those things? And that that for me was always a great motivator. Um, and also to not, it's not like you're decided to become a bricklayer and then suddenly the next day you're building the Great Wall of China. It it's like recognizing the small steps along the way. So I remember the very first drawing I ever sold to someone um which was just a drawing I did for myself but they wanted to buy it and give it to someone for a present and I remember being so shocked at that um and I I keep testimonials I keep things down so that any good things that people have said it then proves to me that there is a market and there are people that are interested um and I just try and keep going it I I don't yeah I don't know what else to say really it's just having a the courage of your convictions and just believing that you're worth it. I think one of the things for me was the hardest was thinking, was that who am I to think I'm going to, I can do this. It's all too hard. I don't know what I'm doing. And actually every single one of those things has a solution. So I didn't think I knew what I was doing. Well, let's go and sort out how I can do it. So I went off and did some courses and um, I realized I didn't have the confidence. And then I saw an ad locally for a, a networking group that needed a graphic kind of person and I thought well I can do that and I wrote and said I I wanted to come before I even had a chance to say no to myself and suddenly I was there and I was earning money and it's like well actually I can do this so it's just giving yourself a bit of a a breather and being kind and just taking little steps at a time and I would add this idea of the what if um you know looking at this this one excuse right no one will buy it is that really going to be the thing you go down on like for real you know, am I really mm. going to let my excuse that's not even true take me down? No, the answer yeah. is no. And I, I can't, yeah, I can't do that now because people do buy my book and they do buy drawings. And, and it's like, well, I've dealt with that one <laughs> well, right now. One of the other issues that I'm, I'm struggling with, I can't use that excuse anymore. Um, yep. But, it, but it's also looking back at even anything that nothing that relates to this. So it's like the first time that you, you thought you couldn't learn to drive a car. And you, if you are driving, you now drive a car. The first time you thought you couldn't go for a hundred meter walk or run or whatever, like it doesn't matter what the subject is, but it's, it's recognizing those things that you've actually overcome, no matter how small they are, 
to realize that you can overcome whatever things are that you're telling yourself and just to break it down into bite-sized pieces and to challenge yourself um it's not easy i'm not not saying that it's it's easy it, it's certainly not but what i would say is that the rewards on the other side of it are so incredibly exciting and just it just i get such a buzz from this stuff that when it works it works and it's like right let's just do this let's shut that that head off that tells me i can't do things and let's just see how i can change the world <laughs> exactly so there you have it no one will buy it it's a terrible excuse right it's either a statement you're making way too early because you haven't done your market research and created a prototype and tested it and really understood whether that is or isn't true it's also a disguise for I don't see the value of what I have to offer. A shield from who do you think you are or from your own self-talk saying, who am I to offer, a.k.a. the imposter syndrome. And it's a block because you're afraid of selling. This excuse, no one will buy it, is so important to acknowledge and work through because it's holding you back from bringing joy to others, from helping meet their needs, and from your own growth and financial success, right? It stops you from making money. And in these uncertain times, we need to be removing as many of these thought blocks as we can because the reality is challenging enough. You've been listening to Expat Happy Hour with Sunday Bean. Thank you for listening. I'll leave you with the words of Liam Linisong. No one can stop you but yourself. Um. <laughs>